Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this week's episode, another Avanti vulnerability is under mass exploitation. Also, AWS claims their Q4 run rate was more than any other cloud provider. And millions of smart toothbrushes were infected and used for a devastating denial of service attack. For this and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast which of course, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, and that includes Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops, and also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And of course, also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, give these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. The previously reported Avanti Connect Secure and Avanti Policy Secure server-side request forgery vulnerability that was tracked as CVE-2024-21893 is reportedly currently under mass exploitation by multiple attackers. According to bleepacomputer.com, due to the situation with active exploitation of multiple critical zero-day vulnerabilities, a lack of effective mitigations, and lack of security updates for some of the impacted product versions, the U.S. CISA has ordered federal agencies to disconnect all Avanti Connect Secure and Policy Secure VPN appliances. Only devices that have been factory reset and upgraded to the latest firmware version should be reconnected to the network. However, older versions that remain impacted are still without a patch, leaving some in a very precarious position. This instruction extends to private organizations, although it's obviously not mandatory, just recommended. Therefore, companies should seriously consider the security status of their Avanti deployments and the trust of their environment in general. And I can say that at least one person on the Google Patch Mail Group Uh, has suggested that his organization is now looking to move away from Avanti products just because the sheer number of high-profile vulnerabilities over the last few months. And, I mean, can't blame them. It could happen to any vendor and any product suite, I feel. Uh, But, yeah, it's certainly been a lot for administrators and organizations to tackle. CRN.com shared that in Q4 of 2023, AWS added more than $1.1 billion in incremental quarter-over-quarter revenue, which FX states is more than any other cloud provider. Looking ahead, Amazon said it expects for the first fiscal quarter of this year that revenue will be $138 billion to $143 billion. Actually, $143.5 billion, excuse me. Half a million off. Uh, or that is the equivalent of up between 8% and 13% over the first fiscal quarter of last year. Upon the report, Amazon stock rose 2.63% to $159.28 per share, with after hours trading sending shares up 6.99% to $170.45. So things certainly looking pretty healthy for AWS. 
It was reported last week that Okta plans to lay off about 7% of their staff, which is around 400 employees, with CEO Todd McKinnon citing high costs as the reason. The firm underwent its last round of layoffs in February 2023. So, I mean, February 2024, February 2023, bit of a pattern, in my opinion. (laughs) Well, not even an opinion. I mean, it was February last year and it's February this year. But Okta shares rose around 3.6% in pre-market trading upon the news, which I hate to see. I understand that's just what happens, um, but it is a little bit kind of revolting that there's that aspect of capitalism that, hey, uh, trimming headcount is a good thing. So here you go. Here's your reward. CNBC reports that so far in 2024, 24,000 jobs in tech have been lost. So in the first episode of this year, I was talking a little bit about the tech scene and uh, the jobs on the tech scene and kind of speculated that if this year followed last year's trend, that the first two or three months could see a lot more layoffs. And unfortunately, it seems to have been the case. On the last episode of this podcast, I reported on the release of a preview version of Windows Server 2025. In fact, the first ever preview version. Well, recently, an even newer version of 2025 preview was leaked online, and it included some new in-development features that included a new setting for a Windows sudo command. This setting is only available after enabling developer mode, and the sudo command does not currently work from the command line yet, even though the feature appears in the UI, which indicates that it's early in development. In my opinion, it'll be interesting to see how it's applied in Windows, and how it will work from an admin or user perspective. And I assume it's going to be uh, closely aligned with the Windows subsystem for Linux, but hey, maybe not. Maybe they're making an actual pseudo equivalent for Windows uh, rather than requiring to uh, run command or run PowerShell or something like that, uh, elevated at the off. Maybe you'll be able to elevate without additional commands or tools from within those windows using sudo. I guess we'll wait and see. Microsoft launched Windows 11 Preview Build 26040, and it provides features to streamline working with images, like actual like pictures, not like desktop images, across mobile devices and windows, specifically Android. There's also a voice clarity feature that enhances your audio experience on windows, with what they call state-of-the-art AI technology, saying it's powered by low-complexity AI models and it will cancel echo, suppress background noise, and reduce reverberation in real time, which I think Teams already it has something similar to that, or it's supposed to, and I know for sure WebEx does. I, there's also going to be changes to the out-of-box experience when setting up the OS. Looks a little bit minor. It should still function with an unintended install for those administrators. It's also going to bring support for USB 80 gigabit per second on certain devices that are compatible. Uh, And Windows Laps got a lot of new features thanks to Jeremy Waskowitz for pointing this out. But with Laps, you can now configure Laps to automatically create a managed local account. You also get a new password complexity setting that includes a new passphrase option or multiple passphrase options actually, and possibly most crucial of all for laps, there's a new image rollback detection feature 
which can help reduce the number of times you encounter password skews where your cache credentials are out of date against what is the current password. So they do warn to enable that particular feature, you must first run the latest version of the update lapse ad schema PowerShell commandment. Windows Lapse will note the presence of the new attribute and then start using it. So yeah, that's obviously a big caveat because I know in a lot of organizations, uh, when you try to make changes to the schema, uh, that it requires uh, special attention and needs very formal approval due to risks and the significance of the possible change. Uh, but that's a big one. Uh, I think I covered maybe on the podcast before, if not on Twitter, that there's a rollback feature, say on Windows 365 or, or a revert option, or um, I don't, I'm not using the terminology correctly, but essentially you're able to roll back to a save point in Windows 365. But the risk with that was if you had rotating passwords and managed accounts, uh, if you roll back, you could potentially break your applications and services because the cache credentials would not match what the current password is. So authentication fails multiple times and causes lockout. So it sounds like this new feature should help alleviate those types of problems. So it'll be interesting to see how well it works. There are a lot more features and improvements announced with this preview build, and you can find the full list over at fivebytespodcast.com under episode 320. Mark Rosinovich shared on Twitter that there's an upcoming SysInternals IT feature called Demo Type that has Zoom it, enter your demo input as if you're typing it. He also posted a short demo video that's been made actually entirely with Zoom it, showing the Demo Type feature in action. And you can see that on the YouTube edition of this episode, which again is episode 320. And you can find that video over at fivebytespodcast.com embedded at the top of the page or even down in the links. Recently, IGEL expanded their partnership with Lenovo, which they say will accelerate the availability of Lenovo devices with integrated IGEL OS. Through the expanded partnership, Lenovo ThinkPad, L14 Gen 4 Intel and AMD notebooks, and ThinkCenter Neo 50Q Thin Client and M75Q Tiny Desktops are available with an integrated license of IGEL OS, and it's available directly from Lenovo. A YouTuber named Stack Smashing demonstrated a colossal security flaw with BitLocker that allowed him to bypass Windows BitLocker in less than a minute using just a cheap Raspberry Pi Pico device and gained access to the encryption keys and could unlock protected data. After creating the device, the exploit only took 43 seconds in order to steal the master key. Stack Smashing found that the communication lanes between the CPU and external TPM are completely unencrypted on boot up, enabling an attacker to sniff critical data as it moves between the two units, thus stealing encryption keys. And in the video, an attack is carried out on a 10-year-old laptop with BitLocker encryption. The specific laptop's LPC bus is readable through an unpopulated connector on the motherboard, located right next to one of the laptop's M2 ports, but Tom'sHardware.com suggests the same type of attack can be used on newer motherboards that leverage an external TPM, but these typically require more legwork to intercept the bus traffic. So I guess if it's an external TPM chip, 
it's going to be those older TPM chips versus the integrated VTPM. So I guess if you're using Windows 11 and you're like, oh, Windows 11 requires a TPM, I guess it's only those that have an external TPM that are affected. So if it's just a processor that supports the VTPM, it sounds like it's probably less of a concern because that communication is not going uh, the same way. A finance worker for an undisclosed multinational company was recently tricked into remitting 200 million Hong Kong dollars using a deep fake to pose as the company's United Kingdom-based chief financial officer and subsequent deep fakes to impersonate others within the organization. And if you're wondering what 200 million Hong Kong dollars converts to in maybe euros and dollars, US dollars, it's about 25.5 million US dollars and 23.8 million euros. The deepfakes asked the employee to introduce himself and then quickly instructed him to make 15 transfers compromising the roughly 25.6 million dollars to five local bank accounts. They created a sense of urgency for the task and then the call abruptly ended. A week later, the employee checked up on the request within the company and discovered the horrifying truth. So this is just one example of deepfakes and AI being used by criminals uh, to social engineer and gain a foothold into organizations and glean some money for themselves. And the Hong Kong police have said that they've actually arrested, I believe, six criminals for such an offense but not necessarily this particular incident. So it's happening more widely than you may believe. Securityweek.com recently reported that pen testers reported vulnerabilities in the NavBlue FlySmart Plus Manager application, which is a set of tools provided by an app on iPads for Airbus pilots to carry out flight calculations and to access manuals. A networking feature in applications built for iOS leveraged HTTPS, but disabling it resulted in communications over insecure methods, opening the door to man-in-the-middle attacks. So that's not all that uncommon. I mean, if you disable HTTPS, it can fail over and use HTTP. But I guess the security problem is you should not fail over to HTTP, particularly for something that is so critical and requires secure communication. The problem here is it could allow an attacker to view data downloaded from the NavBlue servers, consisting mostly of SQLite databases containing aircraft information and takeoff performance data. They said an attacker may be able to modify aircraft performance data or adjust airport information, for example, runway lengths, and which could then result in a tragedy, possibly a tail strike or runway excursion on departure, basically going off the end of the runway because they thought it was going to be longer than it actually was. This was first reported in 2022 with mitigations shared with customers in summer 2023. So hopefully the aviation industry has already come to grips with this, but it has recently been made public via, these, via this report by the pen testers. OpenAI has said that images generated by the company's DALI 3 text-to-image tool will now include embedded metadata to help users identify if an image has been generated by their AI model. This follows guidance from the C2PA, which is a coalition I mentioned on a previous episode of the podcast, which is made up of multiple companies who have come together to agree standards around AI. Silicon Republic reports that despite this feature being welcome, OpenAI have cautioned that metadata such as C2PA 
is not a silver bullet to address issues of provenance and information that describes the origin and history of a piece of digital content to establish its authenticity. Such metadata, OpenAI have said, can be easily removed from an image either by accident or intentionally. So yeah, certainly not a silver bullet. I guess they're hoping that the person generating the image doesn't know how to take out that metadata before they use it, possibly. Not sure what they're thinking. I guess it's just a checkbox exercise, in my opinion. The Austin Paul Turt reported that Apple have reported their net income of $39.9 billion on revenue of $119.6 billion in their most recent quarter, but that its revenue didn't grow at all year over year. Even worse, Apple indicated that the iPhone sales would underwhelm in the current quarter. He suggests that we can expect Apple's first AI reveal at their upcoming conferences this summer, followed by the implementation of new AI features across its ecosystem, starting with the iPhone launch in the autumn, which is pretty late compared to the other big players in tech who have already made significant movements towards embracing AI. So Apple possibly caught on the back foot a little bit. The Verge have reported on Google's upcoming generative AI features for Google Maps, reporting the feature will answer queries for restaurant or shopping recommendations, for example, using its large language model to analyze Maps' detailed information about more than 250 million places and trusted insights from the community of over 300 million contributors to quickly make suggestions for where to go. So I would think of it as, you know, if you maybe go to a new place, look up on Google Maps, go to restaurants, and then start browsing through uh, the Google reviews, or maybe uh, going out to TripAdvisor and Yelp then to cross-reference and um, look at the reviews for those restaurants in the area before making your decision. Well, I guess this AI feature within Google Maps will do that lifting for you. Google says the feature will first become available in the US and there's no word when other countries will be getting it. In an update to a previous story I covered on this podcast, Ars Technica reported that a California judge has dismissed a lawsuit from 26 Google users who claimed that Google's default search agreement with Apple violated antitrust laws and had ruined everyone's search results. Users had argued that Google struck a deal making its search engine the default on Apple's Safari web browser, specifically to keep Apple from competing in the general search market. These payments to Apple, users alleged, have stunted innovation and deprived users of quality service and privacy that they otherwise would have enjoyed, but for Google's anti-competitive conduct. They also alleged that it created a world where users have fewer choices, enabling Google to prefer its own advertisers, which users said caused an annoying and damaging distortion of search results, which that's been a recurring theme over the last few months on this podcast, me covering stories of scams being perpetrated and amplified by Google ads and various different complaints and stories related to that. Uh, Meanwhile, while this judge dismissed this specific lawsuit launched by 26 Google users, The U.S. government's antitrust case over Google search dominance is still ongoing, so we'll have to wait and see how that one gets resolved. In an interesting story covered by Tom's Hardware, around 3 million smart toothbrushes have been infected and used in a denial-of-service attack on a Swiss company's website. 
The firm's site collapsed under the strain of the attack, reportedly resulting in the loss of millions of euros for the business. In this particular case, the toothbrush botnet was thought to have been vulnerable due to its Java-based OS. No particular toothbrush brand has been mentioned in the source report, so maybe if we give it some time, there will be some sort of public disclosure by the manufacturer of the toothbrush. Uh, but certainly an interesting one to think that an army of smart toothbrushes uh, was leveraged for an attack like this. ControlUp announced that they have launched a new DEXE program, or D-E-X-E program, to acknowledge those in the EUC and DEX space. If you're not familiar with DEX, that is, of course, Digital Employee Experience. The first class of DEXE would be announced on April 1st. So if you'd like to join this community and program, apply today. And some of the benefits includes uh, the use of a DEXE logo, a certificate, and a badge through Credly Acclaim, similar, I guess, to the Citrix CTP and CTA program, a free VIP pass to a DEXE conference and events in 2025, in both North America and Europe with special privileges and access, NFR keys for all Controla products, which is probably the, the most interesting one to me, uh, access to private beta releases, also kind of cool. Uh, your name will be published and blog social links optional and company optional promoted on Control Up Dexy web pages, uh, promotion of your content on Control Up social media and social sharing platform, quarterly meetups with fellow Dexies, Invites invites to Control Up's private Dexy Slack channel in the Control Up community and much more. So this is a really interesting one uh, because other programs and communities are losing their shine a little bit and becoming less active. So it's a great opportunity for a great company like Control Up to help fill the void and help amplify and promote the community. I know I've said it on the Thrive It podcast or Thrive IT podcast and on my own social channels, but I feel like there's not that many new faces in community and um, speaking at events, user groups, conferences, and so forth. And I hopefully this is an incentive to get more people engaged and willing to collaborate and share information more. But yeah, if you work with Control Up, if you're interested in the digital employee experience and end user computing space, Apply, and I'll share a link to apply with this episode, which again is episode 320. Mozilla spokesperson Damiano DeMonte told The Verge that Mozilla are extremely disappointed with Apple's proposed plans following a ruling by the European Union that means browsers like Firefox can use their own engines on iOS. Apple's plan is to restrict a browser engine kit to EU-specific apps meaning developers will have to maintain two separate browser implementations, an implementation for EU customers and one for those outside the EU. The spokesperson for Mozilla continued, quote, Apple's proposals fail to give consumers viable choices by making it as painful as possible for others to provide competitive alternatives to Safari. This is another example of Apple creating barriers to prevent true browser competition on iOS, end quote. Other vendors have also labeled the proposal a farce and a horror show. And I would just throw in my own opinion and two cents here. Apple seems to have this running trend of when a regulator tries to get them to do what's right for consumers and color within the lines to find a way to do it half-arsed 
and to make it more painful and less efficient for everyone involved. It is one of the most annoying and frustrating aspects of Apple as a company, in my opinion. They're getting a little bit better on the security front, which they were terrible at for a long time as well. They were slow to respond to security vulnerabilities, even when they were all over mainstream news. But they've improved on that front, but they continue to be a bit of a scummy company in other regards. Finally, kind of lighthearted one, or at least lighthearted in my opinion, and it's Apple related, but I'm less angry about it than the last one. In fact, I'll actually defend Apple on this one. Yarden Shafir on Twitter posted a tweet basically complaining about the UX on macOS, saying it's the worst UX she's ever seen and nothing is where she expects it to be. Nothing works the way she think it will. Error messages don't mean anything and there's no confirmation when an action is done. What is the system? Um, I think that's a pretty reasonable reaction if someone's very used to Windows, say, and they tried to use macOS for the first time. Uh, it took me months to get used to macOS. I'm not gonna say that I now prefer to Windows because I don't really. Um, I would say I prefer it in some regards because it's so tightly aligned with the hardware uh, that the hardware performs better than uh, a PC does with Windows because they're maybe not as closely aligned, thus not as efficient. But there's some points there that seem just off to me, like the point about error messages not meaning anything is like most errors that I run into in Windows are just like generic messages that you then have to reverse engineer what's going on at the time of the error to figure out what it is because the error message doesn't give it away. I saw someone else with this flow chart on how to move between open windows on windows using alt tab uh, versus on a Mac. And it's like very convoluted on the Mac, which I don't know if that's really true because if you just hit F3 on a MacBook, it brings up all the open windows and you select the one you want. Um, but I just thought that there were some things in there that do not ring true. And I felt a need to defend Apple for some reason, uh, even though I don't necessarily enjoy macOS or think that it's the best. Uh, I don't think it's as bad as this tweet or subsequent replies to this tweet suggest. Just my opinion. And I wanted to end it on something that's a little lighter than that previous story. But now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. First tip for this week, the ANS group are hiring for several positions in Manchester, including account manager roles, project manager roles, DevOps engineers, Linux migration engineers, and more. I know that it's a tough time for those working in tech, so I wanted to highlight those jobs when I saw that post. Um, I don't think I'm going to do a hot jobs segment anymore. I think I mentioned on a previous episode that the idea behind that was remote jobs were somewhat scarce. So I was mostly highlighting remote work opportunities. And now that it's less scarce, although becoming more scarce again, I feel like it's less relevant. So I'll probably just include some from time to time in scripts, tricks, and tips instead. But next tip, the EUC Tech event has been announced and there's a call for speakers. The event is going to be held June 3rd to June 5th at Lily Country Club in Lillestrøm, Norway. I probably mispronounced that, sorry. Uh, you can submit proposals for presentations and other professional content such as courses, workshops, competitions, debates, and more. They welcome contributions from all areas of expertise, both theoretical and practical. 
Experience-based presentations are always popular. Sessions are preferably 45 minutes in length. They do not want proposals for product, service, or supplier presentations. Next up, the awesome Tim Mangan published his MSAX report card for 23H2 and has once again made some compatibility gains in his testing and his efforts with his tooling. So be sure to check out the report. Recently, Susan Bradley shared a practical guide to print Nightmare in 2024 and suggests that despite being addressed by Microsoft in the past, it is still affecting organizations to this date, mainly because of quite confusing group policies and settings that are required to mitigate the issues. So this might be one that you want to check out for yourself just to make sure that you've crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's when applying the mitigations for the print nightmare vulnerability. David Quaid on Twitter shared a link to a new Google SEO starter guide. So if you're working in the marketing space, uh, technical writing space, or maybe you just have your own blog, uh, you may want to check out these SEO tips uh, to get the greatest return and help amplify your work on Google search results. Do you use autopilot? And if so, is it randomly not working for you? Well, Michael Nihas says perhaps the issue is KB5033055. And he's posted a blog post on his site, oofhours.com, that addresses this. Finally, the awesome App Manage event will be taking place once again this October in Utrecht in the Netherlands. If you're in the application management, application delivery, virtualization, and even security space, this is a conference that you'll want to check out. And there's a really great early bird offer for tickets right now, where I believe the price is about 149 euros for a ticket. I'm not entirely sure, to be honest, so don't quote me on that. Um, But it's cheap. (laughs) It's good value. And I recommend everyone who's in the space to go. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.